Yeah, Jardinus. So, yeah, Kabbalah says that it is not a Fourth Amendment search. Can I just stop for a second and say that you are the whitest dude to call Kabbalah and Jardinus? Kabias, you you insensitive bastard. Kabias. <laughs> hey guys, check out the 2023 Street Cop Conference, April 23rd through the 28th, Gaylord Convention Center. It's going to be the event of the year. Keynote speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed Bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, Navy SEAL Jason Redman, Fox News host Tommy Laren, Marine Corps Special Forces and Leadership Coach Cody Alford, Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff David Clark, and Sheriff Mark Lamb. It's going to be one hell of an event. And on top of that, we have all of our instructors and additional instructors from other companies going to be at the event, giving you everything they know for you to have a successful career and get the results you want to get in the field as a police officer. On top of attending the event, you'll get face-to-face time with every instructor attending the event, and all the keynote speakers will spend time with you. we got special events all week, giveaways, nightlife. It's going to be really, really worth your time, energy, and effort. I promise you, you will not regret it for a second. To register for the conference, check out streetcop.com, click conference, and everything you need will be there on the homepage. If you are looking for a room, just click book a room. The block has been sold out at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center. But there are many hotels nearby within a walking distance of the event. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We will see you there. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino and uh, slightly hungover today. And uh, we have Zach Miller in the house. I'm excited to be here. So a little conflict of schedule. Hung out with some folks last night, but uh, feeling pretty good. We're going to get this one rolling. Zach Miller, the man, the myth, the legend, the goose that laid the golden egg, the gift to law enforcement. I appreciate it. In studio, dude. Good to be here. First time I've ever been in the studio, so happy to be here. I was awesome. up from Virginia, so uh, yeah. Zach's the man. Happy Zach, newly retired. Uh, yes, freshly retired, early retirement, moving on to bigger and better things. 18, it, 18 and a half years. I love it. Uh, in law enforcement, so I'm, I'm excited. Don't worry, you'll have people who are going to comment on social media, like, this guy has no time on the job. Who is he to talk? Because yeah. according to cops, if you didn't do 25, you're, you're not, yeah, you, right. you ne- you're not one of them. Yeah, yeah, like you never, you didn't meet the criteria. Yeah. Yeah. I get it all the time. Yeah. Oh, this guy was on the job three fucking days, first of all. <laughs> like, I did 14 years, and I probably did more in my 14 years than people do in 40 years. Yeah. No bullshit. Depending on what jurisdiction you are, how what how, how proactive you are. Oh, absolutely. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dude, I was a proactive I'm, motherfucker. I'm, I'm proud of my 18 and a half years. Mm-hmm. I covered a lot of ground. I'm not here to try to uh, yeah. pander and explain to people. Yeah. Before we started, we discussed what we we're going to talk about today, and we are going to go with the Fourth Amendment because I have a new class that I wrote. Um, some of it's integrated in my program that gets taught nationally to different states. But, you know, essentially cops have this issue with understanding what to do when they get to a house with probable cause. And I have to remind people in class all the time, it's called the automobile exception, just so you guys are aware. There is no house exception. Correct. That's actually exactly why we have an automobile exception, because it's not a house. A house is a place where the fourth of it draws a firm line at the threshold of the door. So maybe you could uh, allude to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the the house is is the intrusions upon the house by the government was the the main reason why the fourth amendment was even drafted in the first place it was uh it's designed first and foremost primarily to protect a person's privacy interest in their own home and uh in no other area 
that is protected by the Fourth Amendment, do you receive a greater protection than the house? Uh, home entry almost always requires a search warrant, and there are exceptions, obviously. Um, exigent circumstances being one of them, um, consent, or in the limited circumstances, the arrest warrant that we've, we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, generally speaking, um, you need a warrant. Just because I've got probable cause to believe there's uh, contraband in the house or, or a wanted person, uh, that doesn't mean I can just walk in the door uh, of that house without uh, a search warrant. Or, or exigent circumstances. You know, we see that often. There's two cases that came to mind to start with, and I'll give the example that Zach and I discussed prior to this. But Ilya Cabayas is a case that said a free air sniff. Essentially, one of the things they discussed in that was, as long as you don't prolong a stop, without reasonable suspicion in majority of the states, you can deploy a police-trained narcotics dog on a vehicle during a lawful traffic stop without violating the Fourth Amendment because it's not a search under the Fourth Amendment because of the automobile. But it changed in Florida v. Jardine. So maybe we can allude to that a little bit. Yeah, Jardinus. So, yeah, Kabbalah says that it is not a Fourth Amendment search. Can I just stop for a second and say that you are the whitest dude to call Kabbalah and Jardinus? Kabayas, you you insensitive Kabbalist, bastard. Kabayas. <laughs> I want to apologize to our and, and uh, is, Latino and Latina community for Zach Miller being so from ha- Virginia and the whitest dude on earth. Right, so how do you say Jardinus? I say Jardinus. I think it's Jardines. Jardines? I don't think it's. A, I don't. I don't think it's. I'll. I'll give you Kabayas. Ka- thank you. Okay. Ka- okay. I'll, I'll submit that. <laughs> uh, back to this. Back to this. I'm gonna stick with Kabbalas. Oh my god. <laughs> You're like my father when I was a kid. I, and I like took Spanish in in high school. That's so. wild, dude. Yeah. I, you probably didn't do Two good L's at it. You should have. Yeah. Yeah. The Y sound. Yeah. You should have took just case law in high school and nothing else. My father used to order food. I remember. Yeah, you know, he's just one of those people. He's like, I'll get the polo with the. Uh, I'm like, that's. See, I know it's, it's polio. It's I know it's polio. Okay, so polio. it's Cabayas. It's the same thing. Cabayas. All right, let's go All with right. Cabayas. All right. Illinois versus Cabayas. Uh, the court held that it is not a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment to, for a dog to sniff the air coming out of a vehicle. It's not an intrusion upon an expectation of privacy, and there's no physical touching in the car. Um, and then in Jardinus, um, Florida versus Jardinus, the court said that when you bring a drug detection canine onto residential curtilage, um, that violates the implied license that a police officer has to walk on somebody's curtilage. So we, we would need to unpack that real quickly. Um, the reason a police officer doesn't need a warrant to walk up to somebody's front door and knock on the door and attempt to engage in conversation, what we, we sometimes call knock and talk, um, the reason you don't need a warrant to do that is because there's implied consent. There's a societal expectation that anyone can walk up to somebody's front door and knock on the door and engage in conversation with the people that live there. And a police officer can do the same thing. But when you, when a police officer brings a dog, a drug detection canine onto that property, uh, that violates that license or that implied consent. So in other words, it's a search under the definition of the fourth amendment to bring a dog onto curtilage. Does that count for like calling for a dog to come sniff like a storage facility, uh, a business? Uh, I, w- I don't think so. No, I think, um, well, at least not under the Fourth Amendment because the, the, the home is a distinct area from like a business. Now, a business is a constitutionally protected area, um, but the degree of privacy expectation is much less than, than a house. I mean, the court specifically addressed homes in Cabayas, uh, excuse me, in, in Jardinus, um, but I don't, I haven't seen any cases that where a bringing a drug detection dog to a storage locker uh, at a, like a, like a, storage facility or at a business is, is, is a fourth amendment 
intrusion. I, I wonder. It could be. Yeah, I, I haven't wonder. Seen any. Yeah. I wonder in a country if there's been something like that. I wonder how we probably have to research that because my gut yeah. tells me that you might have an issue there. It, it's well, there is there is case law that deals with the drug dog in like a hallway of an apartment complex, uh, and the courts are definitely split on that. Some courts uh, say that bringing the dog into the hallway, the common area of a, of a ho um, uh, an apartment or a motel, would be a search um, without a warrant or consent or exigent circumstances. So that would be a problem. But others say it's a common area. The officer's allowed to walk through there. He's allowed to bring the dog. So there's there's definitely a circuit split on whether that's appropriate and Jardinus is the case that that the case the courts cite in that situation i wonder if they'll revisit that if something gets pushed up enough definitely i think there's well especially if there's a split especially if you have uh some jurisdictions saying you can't do it and some saying you can because at the end of the day you know we, when it comes to the fourth amendment it, it shouldn't vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction uh whether you can and can't do it and that's one of the criteria the court looks at the supreme court looks at as to whether they're going to take a case i wonder you know obviously we know that the dog alerting to a locker or something like that, you know, essentially in, in storage facilities, as we're talking mm -hmm. about, I'm not going to talk about schools. I said locker, I should probably use different language. Do you find that in those States it would support the probable cause needed to issue a search warrant for that, that locker? If the dog is there, uh, proper, if the dog is there lawfully on the premises to make the alert. Yeah. I don't see any, any reason why a, a properly trained narcotics dog, if he can give probable cause to search a car, there's no reason that that same alert can't give you probable cause to search a storage locker, but you would need a warrant. So just like you said, there's no, there's no storage locker exception to the search warrant requirement. You would need a search warrant in that situation, absent exigent circumstances or consent from the person who's renting the locker, not the owner of the, the business. It's interesting. Um, yeah. When you say lawfully present, Let's let's unpack that a little bit. And, you know, if people haven't caught on, I ask Zach these questions with the intention of him educating all of us in the sense of I know where people's heads are going, what they're planning on doing. Um, one thing we probably need to do, you and I, is try to train people on how to do some research using Google Scholar or Case Text. Because mm -hmm. I think, a, one, the amount of questions that come into us, we'll never get to them. So I'd rather them at least take a stab at it. Right. Take a peek at it. But, dude, I just gave a guy, he'll probably listen to this podcast episode. So he reached out. I happened to be able to answer his question at the time. And I just had a little bit of downtime. I took a peek at a question. And I fired it back. And I gave him the explanation of Peyton v. New York and Siegel versus United States. And he came back and he's like, so we can't go in with a warrant. I'm like, where did, where did, you, where did you read that? He's like, well, no, this case was no good. I'm like, it was warrantless. No warrant at all. Yeah, right, Peyton yeah, had no yeah. warrant. Right. If with the warrant is this where you can go in. Right. And, and dude, I just did a class in Texas and it's amazing. We had a guy in class. It was a great conversation. He's like, I've literally never heard of any of this stuff before. I go, and he's not a young guy. Mm -hmm. He's like, is this stuff really true? And I'm like, all of it's true. It's on the board up there. And it just goes to prove like how, how bad we are in, in the sense of, the things that need to get taught aren't being taught. Could you imagine a guy? This is no, again, this is no spring chicken. He's like, yeah. I've never heard of this Peyton V New York thing, like going to a house with a warrant. Like, so how many times have you gone to a house? You've knocked on the door, there's been a warrant, you see the person inside. Yeah. It's their house. He's like, Yeah, we just walk away and try it again another time. We try to get him outside. And I'm like, You guys know you can go in. He's like, Are you serious? And Peyton, as you know, came out in 1980 and Steve Otto's 81. So all of that guy's career, even though he's been around a long time, you know, that's 40 years ago. You know, these aren't new cases. 
You know, this has been the law for a long, a long time. Why do we still get people who are having stuff suppressed on improper Terry frisks? You know what I mean? When that came out in 1968. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just, and that's part of my class. When I started, I'm like, how come this guy wasn't told? How come this guy wasn't told? I, I bring up like seven cases just to flip through them real quick. I don't read the whole thing. I go, here's one where it was, again, evidence suppressed. How did nobody tell this guy or these guys or these girls that in order to frisk somebody for weapons, which is the only frisk you're allowed to do is for weapons. Right. It's not a PC search. It's not a search incident to arrest. It's not an exigency. It is reasonable suspicionably that somebody's armed and dangerous or consent. Mm-hmm. Um how did these guys think routine police procedure and people conjure up these police created exigencies? It's wild. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, guys are like, hey, but I, we we do because of this. I go, listen, I would like to be able to commandeer a parachute every time I fly against FAA regulations, but according right. to them, the plane's not going to go down. But in my mind, I think it might. So you want to be prepared just in case. Yeah, just in case. Just I don't want to. But I can't bring a parachute on board. As a matter of fact, they told me I can't jump out of the plane if I get a little nervous. <laughs> right. But I'm saying to you, but what if what if it happens? Right. You know, you never know. Right. Um, and that's actually some of the inherent risk of law enforcement versus the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. You assume a degree of, of risk when you take the job. Um, you know, I've, I've said this before, you know, probabil- probable cause and reasonable suspicion deal with probabilities, not possibilities. Anybody's possible. The guy I have to stop right now, he could be armed. But in order for me to justify intruding upon his person, Without his permission, I got to have at least some articulable reason for believing he's armed, not just purely speculating that he's yeah. armed. And, and if people want to know yeah. what that is, my suggestion is because Terry's interesting, and I'll, I'll pick your brain on this a little bit. It seems like each state interprets Terry a little differently. Um, some are very conservative, and some are very liberal. So, in the sense of reverse that in your brain, they're liberal with the amount of freedom they give the police mm-hmm. to justify the reasonable suspicion for the path risk. And some of them are very conservative and saying yeah. that wasn't enough. Yeah. So if you're in a state, yes, the state specifics of what has been tested in your state are important because in Florida, it might say the guy sneezed three times and coughed and we were able to get a, a frisk on him. And that was right. a good frisk. No bullshit. Like, I've seen some yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then if you pull that shit in Jersey, they're going to tell you what they really wanted. The criteria actually is just higher. So that's something the Supreme Court's not going to address. That's going to be a lower level court thing. So my suggestion is go into your Google Scholar. People are like, oh, what's Google Scholar? I'm like, put in Google Scholar into Google. Comes up, right? It'll come up. Select your state. And you could search Terry v. Ohio. You could search Pat Frisk, Weapons Frisk. Mm-hmm. And you will see probably 20 to 40 cases in your state where somebody was frisked and there was an issue. And the cool thing about researching case law is you'll be looking for one thing and find gold. Right. You ever right. like look for one thing? Yeah. You're like, look at this. Yeah, this I wasn't a- looking for this. Right. So then then you go down a, a, a path. Oh, I found some hole. great. Yeah, I, I just get frustrated time. when I find something that's just a diamond and I'm like, God damn it. I wish I would have known about this sooner. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very careful with giving advice. If I ever have to give advice, I'm always going to err on the side of caution a little bit. So if somebody asked me recently about doing sniffs for a locker, I'm sorry, for these storage facilities. Mm-hmm. And we'll go back to the question I originally asked you. And I said, Jardines is an issue you need to research and read. Um, I wouldn't suggest going and attempting to do a sniff in this state on a storage facility. It may not be the route you want to take. Or at least get consent from the owner of the property. 
Let's talk about that lawfully. To get, the yeah. dog, to get the dog there on the property lawfully. Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of these things are, un, we don't know, we don't have answers for a lot of these things. And Let's talk about getting the dog there lawfully. What would something like that look like? Let's talk about a few different circumstances, scenarios of what that would look like. You're talking about getting consent to even bring the dog onto property. Right. If you're talking about a, a like a business, if we, uh, like, including a storage facility, you know, to, you could get consent from the owner, I would think, to have the dog on the property. And that area, you know, that 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 paved area between the different lockers, that's a common area. Uh, when I rent the storage facility, I don't have exclusive control over that common area, so I don't have the authority to keep people off of that area. Everyone can can access that area. So I would think the owner of the property, if we're concerned about whether we need permission to be there, which that's I'm telling you, that's debatable. Right. Um, you could get consent from the owner of the property. And as long as that person's willing to do that, then we've we've done we've dealt with the lawful presence in that case. You know, it's interesting because if you think about it, outside of maybe a storage facility, if your owner is probably gonna be the target, right? Of of can you get consent? Hey, oh, yeah, a, a, like a just a re, like a commercial business. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be going to the owner of the the restaurant where we think they're you know selling drugs out of the back or something like that. We're not going to go ask him for permission. Probably not. Yeah, right. So then you got to make a determination on is this area behind this building where we think the drugs are being sold yeah. his property or is it general public property? Mm-hmm. How do you make the distinction? Um, well, if it's a if it's a business, that should generally the court treats the uh, areas of the business that are open to the public during business hours okay. as carte blanche for a police officer to walk in those without a consent or without warrants or without exigent circumstances. So whatever the whatever the area of the business that the public is allowed to enter, and as long as it's during normal operating business hours, a police officer could be there as well without any express permission. And bring a dog in. I, I don't, yeah. Yeah, and bring a dog. What if the owner said, uh, "I don't want the dog in here"? Then you probably you have to leave. You'd be trespassing, right? You know? I mean, and the owner has the authority to control who who is in and who, who's on his property. But taking the dog back into like the private areas, of, like the office space or the area behind the counter where the public wouldn't normally be, uh, that rec- that's where we're starting to get into protected areas that require more than just. I'm even thinking, like in my mind, like a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, typically restaurants are kind of like in the middle of a slab. If you think about it, slab right. of asphalt, the restaurant's popped right in the middle of it. Yep. Around the back is dumpsters, typically, where people have access to go. There's no restriction. Right. But dumpsters around the back of the thing. Maybe not a place where even cars drive through, but, you know, you wouldn't be thrown out. It's not trespassing to walk on the back of the building. You think it'd be a fair play as well? Yeah, I think so, as long as there's no, like, a gate or something, some kind of um, barrier that would keep people, just general people, from going back there. I don't I don't. I can't see off the top of my head that being a Fourth Amendment issue to have a dog sniffing around back there, a police dog. Let's even talk a little bit further about the automobile exception, but the automobiles being located on private property. So let's say you want to deploy a dog onto a private driveway of a house, protected right. or not protected. The, the, so let's say it depends we, on why the officer's there. Right, we're talking about for the direct investigation of narcotics. Then that would that would violate the Fourth Amendment. Right. So so we got a car on the drive. And make sure I understand the question. You got a car on the driveway. You got to uh, walk down the drive. Let's say maybe about okay. maybe about fifty steps to get okay. to the car that we think has the drugs in it on okay. a private residence. And this is not a traffic stop. This is just we that want- car is parked there. We need to get a warrant on that car. 
We need to get PC to go into that car. Let's yeah. send somebody down with a dog in the middle of the night to, get the PC. to sniff it. Yeah, yeah that would violate the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. There's no question. That would be Jardinus and even throw in Collins versus uh, Virginia. Collins versus Virginia. Well, both of those together would say that's without a warrant that to go on the property, without a warrant to go on the property, that's going to be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Man. That's yeah, good. There's stuff. no doubt about that. Knock and talks are interesting, and maybe we can talk about knock and talks a little bit and inadvertence and how those come into play with, with each other. So inadvertence is unexpectedly. Okay. Uh, seeing something. So if you get a call, I mean, this is really interesting stuff because you have to make these decisions in the field before you take action on what can we do? How do we go about this? We got a call that they're selling drugs out of this house. Mm -hmm. I'm walking up. We decide we're going to do a knock and talk. Essentially, it's a drug investigation, right? So mm -hmm. you do a knock and talk as you walk up, you knock on the door and you look through the bathroom window that you can see and there's a uh, a narcotics processing facility. Gotcha. In plain view from outside. In plain view house, from outside. Right. As you went up there to yeah. investigate right. for the drugs. So as far as the, so this would be the, well, so first of all, the plain view doctrine doesn't apply because pl the plain view doctrine would not allow me to seize those drugs without a warrant. The, the plain viewing gives me the probable cause that I need, but I'm still left with, do I need a warrant? Is there an exigent circumstance or consent? But as far as inadvertence um, for, as a fourth amendment matter, Inadvertence is not an element of plain view. So it it, it used to be. Um, and uh, I believe in Coolidge versus New Hampshire, a case from the early 70s, um, the Supreme Court did say that when it comes to the plain view doctrine itself, that an element of the discovery of the item that's in plain view was that it had to be inadvertent. The police uh, had to not intend to find or expect or intend to find that item. They had to basically stumble upon it accidentally. Uh, but the Supreme Court did away with inadvertence in Horton versus California. Mm -hmm. So inadvertence is definitely not a requirement under the Fourth Amendment. But it is a requirement in some some states under their state law. Um, I believe in Massachusetts, actually I know in Massachusetts, for example, inadvertence is still an element of the plain view citing um, exception to the warrant requirement um you for your automobile exception in new jersey isn't there a spontaneous or it's it's unplanned, it's yeah it's similar it's not well, quite the same it's not quite it? the same because it's really not inadvertence because the saying is like we get that you guys are doing interdiction we get that you guys are taking estimated guesses based on your behavior the people's behaviors right. uh, drug courier profiles things like this but if you had pre-existing knowledge that you had that, that you were confirmed. You have PC before you stop the car that to believe there are drugs inside. Okay. Reasonable suspicion is okay. It's not a problem. But if you had PC, they'd like to see you before you find the car get an anticipatory search warrant. Gotcha. Um, or when you get the car, it removes our automobile exception. So it's unforeseen okay. and spontaneous. So it's kind of like an offshoot. It's yeah, it's definitely not the same as inadvertence, um, right. but it's a kind of an offshoot of so so that's just an example that states do have more restrictive requirements. But Back to your scenario where we, we get this tip about drugs, anonymous tip about drugs being in this house here. We go to do a knock and talk. We knock on the door, and they're in plain view. Inside the house, we can see drugs. Well, there's our PC. Um, whether and, and, of course, it's we'd have a hard time saying that was an inadvertent discovery. I mean, right. the t we're there to investigate drug activity, um, but that's fine. The, f the fact that it wasn't inadvertent, the fact that it, we were hoping to find drugs when we went up there um, doesn't change the fourth, fourth Amendment character of the sighting. That's probable cause to search the house. Now, with a warrant or consent. With a warrant, yeah. consent, or exigent circumstances. Like, we can also see somebody in there who sees us, who's starting to flush the stuff down the toilet. Now we have destruction of evidence, exigent circumstances. But, yeah, other than that, you need a warrant. So 
you know, there's a lot of cases in New Jersey. And when I wrote the second version of this program, as I'm reading, I'm like, man, there is one underlying issue with law enforcement understanding how the Fourth Amendment works at a household. And so I try to really illustrate in my class, and I put actually the Fourth Amendment at the threshold of the door. So let's start with that. Tell me about the okay. threshold of the door and why the Fourth Amendment. So we know that outside of the house, you don't need a warrant because you, you're allowed to be there outside the house. But inside the house, you need a warrant to go inside. So there has to be a line somewhere. There has to be a physical line somewhere where the, the warrant requirement begins, and it is at the threshold of the door. That is the threshold of the door, or if I'm climbing through a window, it's the, you know, the I would call it threshold, but the opening of the window. But typically, it's the door. That That is the line. Anything beyond that threshold, merely crossing that threshold as a police officer, now it's a search because you're intruding upon expectation of privacy, and it requires a warrant. Um, yeah, the, that's that's the line where the Fourth Amendment protection begins. Tell me about on the threshold. So like, you know, the you threshold, know I was going there? Yeah, you know I was going yeah. there? So yeah. on the threshold is uh, where some, well, the courts are divided. You know, if the person, let, and it's usually an arrest case where we're trying to arrest somebody who's hot in pursuit, the house. Hot pursuit, you say? Well, but maybe not, well, maybe hot pursuit, or maybe, um, well, if it's hot pursuit, that's probably exigent circumstances by itself to go inside. But let's say we just get a tip. We get an anonymous tip that there's a wanted guy in his house. And um, we go over there, and, and it's it's not the house that he lives in. Uh, it's there's no exigent search, so it's not a, it's not a serious crime. It's a property crime that he's wanted for. We go up there and we knock on the door, and the guy who is wanted comes to the door. He answers the door, but he's inside the house. And I, at this point, let's say I don't have a warrant at all, but he, I mean, he doesn't even he doesn't live there. So whether I had a warrant or not, it's a third party premises. But he's in the house. For me to go inside the house, um, Peyton versus New York and Stegall said I would need some kind of warrant to go inside that house. But if he comes, he literally steps to the threshold like he's on the threshold. He's in the opening of the his doorway. His feet are on the metal his, part. They're touch, yeah, his body is in the frame or his feet are on the metal part. Um, there are some courts that would allow a warrantless grabbing of him and arresting him. Right. They call them warrantless threshold snatchings. No shit. They have a term for them. Yeah. Wow. Some courts allow it. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Some don't. Some of them say no. He's still receiving the protection of being in the house. So the actual threshold, crossing it is clearly a Fourth Amendment violation, but touching the threshold depends on what jurisdiction you're in. Yeah, people would have to research yeah. to see if it applies in their in their state. Absolutely. Would you say a majority of states... Or it's split right down the middle, you think? Um, I think it's pretty pretty much split down the middle. I haven't I haven't encountered a lot of cases on this issue. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I have stumbled across a few, and it seems about half and half. Well, let's see why you wouldn't stumble, stumble across a lot of these, because essentially, if the arrest is done and there's been nothing found as fruits of the arrest— there's nothing, there's to, nothing, challenge. There's there's nothing, nothing to exclude in criminal court. Right. So it either would either come it would either come to the light in a civil lawsuit where the person is suing you for illegally entering the house. Um, but an arrest, first of all, can't be suppressed. As long as there's probable cause to make an arrest, whether I do it with it with or without a warrant, the exclusionary rule doesn't doesn't uh isn't a basis for excluding the arrest itself. And you're right, if during the search incident to arrest, I haven't found any evidence. Um, there's no evidence inside the house, then there, there's nothing to suppress. So that that that's why these things don't come to light very often um, is because normally it's the exclusionary rule that 
causes litigation on Fourth Amendment issues. Like the, the vast majority of Fourth Amendment cases that you, if you read case law, deal with the invocation of the exclusionary rule. Map the Ohio. Uh, yeah, and it's because of Map versus Ohio that we have all of these cases. Um, now, use of force cases are almost all, always civil cases, so a lot of our Fourth Amendment law when it comes to force, force is developed through civil litigation. But if there's no evidence to be suppressed, then it's not an issue that's going to be raised in a, in a trial. And we're certainly not encouraging people to go ahead and give it a go. No, because it's still a violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's a right. violation of your oath of office. It's still a violation of the person's constitutional rights. And if you know you can't do it, but you do it anyway, that's also a federal crime. Yeah, it's wild. That. So, you know, just, you know. So let's now talk about, I guess we've discussed it before a little bit, but hot pursuit, fresh pursuit, mm-hmm. the different terms means the same thing. Yeah. Essentially, a felony that it gets committed in a public place, and somebody retreats into a house. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, a lot of people still don't understand the concept of it. You and I have had discussions recently about yeah. it. Yep. Oh, it just like tickles me that you're here because I think we could talk for days. Oh, we could talk we all day long. Yeah, I think we could talk four days, and I think we should. And I'm even, I'm a little, you know, slightly uh, dented from last night a little bit, but I still. Um, Having a good time. Sounds like you're thinking pretty clearly on these things. Yeah, we're going to try to. This is going to be one of those things where, like, you ever see, remember the movie Old School? Oh, When he gives the dissertation at the end, he's like, oh, and like he just collapses. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, No, actually, not that bad. So let's talk about fresh pursuit, hot pursuit. Let's define that. And then let's, and it's the same thing, guys. So you hear either way. But let's also talk about the threshold after that and uh, a case that discussed the threshold. Yes. Um, so Santana, United States versus Santana, Santana versus I can't remember yeah, that's right. what the order yeah, is. Yeah. But um, yeah, that that is the um, well, um, it's the, it was the second case. Warden versus Hayden was the first hot pursuit case. But the the real uh, the real case that gives us the doctrine of hot pursuit that we have modernly is Santana. Mm-hmm. And um, the police in this case were they had probable cause to arrest Miss Santana for Female. selling yeah. drugs, and they uh, approached her. She was I think she was on the front porch of her house or just right in front of her house, and they're going up. I towards think she her. was in the threshold. Well, she she retreated into oh, okay. the house. She, okay. Yeah. So there she's she's right on the porch or maybe she's in the threshold, but she she's not far from the house. She's feet from the doorway. And they're walking up and they're attempting to arrest they have her. PC to arrest her for selling drugs. For selling drugs. Right. A warrantless arrest for right. selling drugs. And she turns around and flees back inside. She doesn't get very far. They they tackle her right there in the entranceway of the house. They're clearly in the house though. Um, and they also found drugs, I think, around her, the, or the money they used for the undercover buy or something like that. Anyway, there's there was evidence that was recovered inside the house and she argued that the warrantless entry into the house was to arrest her was a violation of the fourth amendment because she's trying to have that evidence suppressed and the supreme court said no the officers were in hot pursuit uh to arrest her for a felony offense that began the pursuit began in a public area which was outside her door um, and so the pursuit were, has to begin. Yes, the pursuit. There, it's, now, this is the one of the world's shortest hot pursuits, right. the Santana case, but it was a hot pursuit nonetheless. Yeah, the pursuit has to have begun somewhere at or outside the threshold. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. How, how is the pursuit versus the PC different? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm out. I see Santana. Let's call mm-hmm. it like it is. Okay. I'm outside. We have PC to arrest her. Okay. 
Is there any difference between having the PC to arrest and her attempt to thwart our investigation or our arrest by going inside? Is a pursuit something like, hey, stop, freeze, you're under arrest, now that triggers a pursuit, or yeah. is it just the PC? Yeah, um, well, no, you have to have communicated the intent to arrest her. So you don't actually have to have latched on to her and she broke free, okay. but she, you have to have communicated your intent to arrest her. And of course, you also have to have PC to do that. Right. And then she flees. So there, um, you don't have to be within arm's reach of her or anything like that. But then she, she has to have flee, begun to flee into the house. And there has to be a hot pursuit as opposed to a warm pursuit or hot, a fresh pursuit, meaning we're still chasing, we're actively seeking her out. Like we know she went in there. Um, a warm pursuit is like, we, you know, we've set up a perimeter. We think she's somewhere in this general area. Uh, that's, not no a warm warm pursuit is not an exception to the search warrant requirement, but hot fresh pursuit is. Okay, now let's say I'm a hundred feet down the road. Now I'm a savvy police officer. Okay, I see her. I'm a hundred feet away from her. I'm walking. Mm-hmm. I know she's five feet from her door, but I know I've got to at least trigger a pursuit yes. if she's going to go back inside. Right. I need to go, Santana. You're under arrest. Yep. As long as I verbalize that. She goes in. I still got to jog another 30, 40 seconds down the road. You're good. We're still good yeah, to go. It's still a hot pursuit. Yeah, hot pursuit to arrest. You've communicated the intent to arrest, um, and she fled. Yeah. What about a guest? So you have a pursuit. Uh, the pursuit, the guy gets ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You pull up. There's a tree. Uh, the car's into the tree. You got people pointing at a house. Okay. But you didn't see the guy go in, right? Right. What do you got? But somebody, one of the witnesses, saw him go inside. Um, I've seen cases in the lower courts where they would call that a hot pursuit. Okay. You arrive at the scene of a, a crash or some some kind of criminal offense, and you got witnesses saying the guy just ran inside that house right there, and you're you're arriving like moments after this incident has occurred. Uh, I have seen lower courts that say that would be a fresh pursuit or a hot pursuit where the officer could justify entering in that case. Yeah. But I've also heard seen cases where the, the courts say no, that's that's you're not chasing him. You may have good information that the person just went inside the house, but there's no active pursuit. I think that's probably the correct way of looking at it. That's not a, I don't see that as a hot. Well, pursuit. maybe but, I guess in outside of an actual pursuit, I guess was the example I gave, I don't want to confuse people. So the actual pursuit, like a vehicle. Pursuit. Yeah. We're chasing this guy. All right. Okay. I miss, I, I thought okay. maybe it was, uh, I, I misunderstood like, like some drunk driver crashes into a tree and a witness sees it. And you respond to the crash, the call of a crash. Okay, I, even I think you throw in some shit there, which is interesting because now you're talking about a drunk driver preservation of evidence because of their blood alcohol content. Right. And then PC to go in. Is that an exigency? Um, you're getting really interesting stuff there. It is an, it could be. So it's definitely not an, well, we have, so here's the case that kind of throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into there is Missouri versus McNeely, where the Supreme Court said the dissipating nature of alcohol by itself is not exigent circumstances to justify a warrantless blood draw of the person. Um, that would require a search warrant. But the the dissipating nature of the alcohol, does that give you exigent circumstances to enter the house to arrest the person? Um, I think it probably does. If you take Lang versus California, because most drunk driving is usually a misdemeanor in most cases. Right. Uh, Lang versus California that says if you're chasing a misdemeanor suspect in a hot pursuit, you got to have an exigent circumstances in order, and you have to have additional exigent circumstances in order to justify chasing them inside the house. What are some of those? What those be? Well, destruction so they, of evidence, they, right? Yeah, they, they laid a bunch of them out in 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 Lang. They said destruct. Uh, you reason to believe the person's going to destroy evidence. So that I think that's probably our argument with the drunk driver. Right. Um, they also said, uh, reason to believe the person could escape. Wasn't that the whole point of the pursuit right. for the person to get away with you? Wouldn't you have that exigency in most cases? Yeah. 
I mean, that's why they're typically running. But in the case of a drunk driver and they run inside of a house and you're trying to chase them to arrest them uh, and you're in a hot pursuit, I think that would be an an exigent circumstance, the dissipating. Well, hot pursuit, again, we're back to a hot pursuit. I don't want to confuse people because you and I are talking Zach and Dennis language. Um, Obviously, you know more than I do. You do more research than I do, but I'm, I'm. I'm no slacker in some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to paint different scenarios because I don't want to confuse folks. Drunk driver hits a pole. We pull up. Guy says, three people outside go, he went into that house. Right. A different scenario I was talking about is we're in a pursuit. We're chasing somebody, but the guy gets ahead of us. What happens in pursuits, right? Sure, yeah. Sometimes they're 20 seconds ahead of us. Sometimes we terminate pursuits. Yeah. I've had it. I've terminated a pursuit. I mean, I didn't, you know. Well, like Supervisor did. Supervisor started to terminate a pursuit. And, like, you know, we're still, we're not stupid. We're keeping it consistent. We're at 80 coming yeah. down the highway, not doing 100 and a quarter anymore. And I pulled up, and the car's smoking upside down, and the guy's gone. So let's say in a scenario like that, right. now you got a pursuit. That's sure. still a continued hot pursuit. I'd call at that, that point. still a hot pursuit, yeah. Very different than we're coming on the highway with no pursuit. We see this car, and people say, the guy yeah. just ran into that house, uh, you know, over there. Right. But I think it also depends on, well, I guess, right, it depends on the scenario. Is it a drunk driver? How would you know they're a drunk driver? Yeah. yeah there's a lot of weird things with it. And we do have, you also have to, it's worth mentioning Welsh versus Wisconsin. Right. Which was a warrantless entry into a house to arrest a drunk driving suspect. And the Supreme Court said that was not a, a, a sufficient justification to enter someone's house. Just to arrest a drunk driving suspect with no hot pursuit, no claim of exigent circumstances, the offense of drunk driving by itself is not serious enough that foregoes the warrant requirement. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but you throw in a hot pursuit of a drunk driving suspect, that's different because hot pursuit is its own category. Well, I'd imagine in most states a pursuit becomes a felony anyway. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in some states it is, but... but in Jersey, let me tell you something. In dude. Virginia, it's not. Really? Yeah, if you're, if you're not endangering someone else... During the course, a vehicle pursuit uh, is not a felony if you're not endangering somebody else by the way you're driving. Now, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, yes, you, you'll have that. But just the mere fact that you're not stopping for the police is just a misdemeanor in, wow. in Virginia. And, and a problem in a car. Yeah, in a car. Yeah. As long as you're not endangering someone else. Now, you're driving 100 miles an hour trying to get away. It's a felony. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of degree felony is that? Uh, it's at least a class six, which is our lowest level. I wow. mean, it's at least a year in prison, but it's a it's a felony none, nonetheless. Yeah. New Jersey, actually, um, again, it depends what county you're in, but pursuits are something they don't like here. Second degree crime, graded the same as attempted murder. Wow. Yeah. Third degree for serious. one that doesn't endanger people. It's a third degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to I can't give anything that really lines up with a third degree crime. You know, people are like, well, in this county, you get a pursuit, blah, blah, blah. They're not giving you anything. Yeah, I know, but the next county over, we'll, we'll put you in, in jail for three years. Right, right. There are two things they don't like here. And unfortunately, one of them they lost recently, and that's guns, because people can carry guns here. And I think we should talk about that for a second, too, in the state mm-hmm. of New Jersey and how that's changed. And I think that's good for a lot of people to hear, because I think people get very confused on it. And there's there's essentially a lot of videos that have come out recently. And you know, I can allude to that as well. I put one in my class, but... Essentially, here in the state of New Jersey, it is a second-degree crime. So I always find it comical that people get in pursuits, they get terminated, and nobody follows up. And I make this argument to people. It's a second-degree crime. If you had a stabbing at the mall and a victim, you would— You'd investigate. Yeah, you guys have detectives. And I will say that I will give credit where credit's due. My old agency, as soon as we started getting a pursuit and we had a plate on it, our DB was heading out to the house where the the car was immediately. Got a second-degree—we have a second-degree crime, and they did follow up. Yeah. 
you have people who are literally like terminate and the car's gone. There's never, there's never invest. No Second, report done. No, just, no report. No, you're going to do a report okay, on but one. Yeah, we have yeah, but no follow-up, right? No. Well, we lost another one. Yeah. So, so a second degree crime occurs. It's the most hypocritical shit in the world. Yeah. But then you got a detective bureau looking into a stolen dirt bike for th- for that's worth three thousand bucks. Right. It's wild, isn't I, it? I've said for the longest time. I mean, we're the police. We we can if we devote the resources and time, we can solve most crimes, including some guy that takes off from on a traffic stop. If I have a tag, vehicle description, with a little bit of police work, we can probably figure out who that person was. You know, it's interesting. And arrest them on yesterday's uh, episode of this podcast and obviously it should air probably right before this one. We discussed a lot of these agencies now going to prioritizing what they do at law enforcement resources. And a guy who worked for the LAPD for like 28 years wrote this to me. He goes, isn't this ridiculous? I go, you know, I get why it, the inception of it, you think it's ridiculous because it seems like just more demoralizing of the police. I said, but oddly enough, I actually kind of agree with this because most of our time is tied up with bullshit. If you think about it, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of this stuff with technology can be documented by a citizen with directions on a website, yeah. and they can fill out their own reports and submit if they want something on record. Because I used to tell people, I'm like, you want to report for this? Like, yeah, I'm like, so me writing this makes it now that it happened. Um, I remember that they were sending us to first aid calls. We had a full-time first aid call. We didn't go on one side of the week. Then I switched sides of the week and dispatched me to first aid calls. And I call up headquarters. I'm like, what are you sending me to? It's like back pain. Don't you have paramedics? Yeah, yeah. So, right, okay. so it says like back pain. And I'm like, what do you what do you want me to do there yeah. for back pain? Yeah. Right. I get it. CPR in progress. We're going, right? Kid choking. We're going. Sure. Drowning. We're going. Right? Doesn't feel well, wants to go to ER. Send the send the mark patrol car. Wow. You know, so what happens is these these police leaders, the quote unquote at the top, they have a hard time having mustering up the chops to say to somebody. That's not what we're here for. We have a full-time ambulance squad. If it's an emergency, you'll see police officers. But outside of that, dude, they would lift, like, lift assist. Lift assist. I was just thinking the same thing, yeah. But you got, like, we had a full-time squad. They probably had four ambulances on the road for 26 square miles. So, right. you know, a lot of it was, like, really waste of our time. So they listed all the things they're not going to be responding to anymore. And I said, you know, I, I, I kind of agree with this. Mm-hmm. Let the cops, especially now in a time where we're having recruitment issues, we have to start getting savvy because clearly – us convincing people to come do this job more. It doesn't seem to be working in a lot of places. So right. you're going to have to begin to prioritize what we do. Yeah. Like, I got a phone call. They tried to get my credit card number from Zimbabwe. Okay. Go online. Click cool. submit report. Yeah. Put your name, your date of birth, da, da, da. It'll draw a, a number from our CAD or whatever it may be. Uh, yeah. CFO, uh, crime, what is it, uniform crime, UCR. UCR, yeah. From UCR. And uh, that's it. Leave the cop available for the real shit. Right. How many times you got a hot job coming in on a night where you're busy? Yeah. And you got one guy available because everybody else is tied up on some bullshit. All the time. And 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 a lot of agencies that that are going to that, like where citizens can fill out stuff online and um, you know, minor accidents, exchange information kinds of things. Minor, where yeah, you know, it's like just yeah. You got people I remember we were so busy and you know, they don't have a staffing issue. We'd have listen, five o'clock where I worked, we got forty thousand cars on the road. It's 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 busy. Yeah. We'd pull up and I'm like, uh, Hey, you guys doing? Like, where where have you been? I'm like, guys, there isn't a cop here. There's 14 of us on the road right now. We're covering 26 square miles of one of the busiest towns in the state of New Jersey. I think, and I actually got in trouble for saying this publicly. They they came and talked to me. The mayor didn't want this information coming out. I forgot what the statistic was, but we were the, first of all, the number one busiest 
agency in the whole county. And it's you talking this is Jersey. So the, the counties are are populated. Mm-hmm. But I think we we accounted for like more than half of all calls in the county at our agency. Wow. Some shit like that. I forgot. And I said that publicly and they fucking lost it. Brought I got brought in. You can't talk about this. The mayor doesn't want people to know that there's a lot of calls here. And I'm like, all right. Like I, I thought we were I, we were pr- I was like proud of it. I wasn't saying it to like yeah. say like we need help. I'm like, look at us. We come in, we handle all these calls. Yeah, right. So people would be very frustrated. Like, and the crazy thing on top of that frustration, these are simple crash reports. So I would take their stuff because you know you've been on the job. We're getting your information. We're getting the hell out of there. Yeah. I would take my phone out, take pictures of their registration, their insurance, their licenses, mm-hmm. give them a number, and be gone in five minutes. Take a look at the thing. Fill what happened? Later, yeah. And dude. I mean, Philip, people were 10 blocks away, so they didn't bother me the whole time over and over and over again. We didn't give tickets on tick on crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places do. We just didn't, unless it was, like, really important that we did. Right, right. Uh, so we fucking drove 10 blocks. And, guys, so on top of waiting for 45 minutes or an hour and a half to get a bumper-to-bumper crash done, uh, I'm there for three minutes. And they're like, that's it? And I'm like, yeah, you're reportedly ready tomorrow. And like, I was like, what do you mean? Aren't you going to stay here longer? And I'm like, no, no, we've got calls backed up. Right. I got to go to the next one. Cars I, drivable. You can, you know, right you know, now. no injuries, right. yeah. you know, that's yeah, it. Leaving. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But that stuff yeah. can be done. I think we really got to start embracing technology in a sense right. of take pictures, submit it, you know? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a battle between insurance companies anyway. I mean, yeah, that's things. a fun so, little battle to play. Yeah. Where were we at? Fresh pursuit, hot pursuit, the house. Let's talk about something real quick, too, because I don't want people to get confused on this. You already talked about it a little bit, but the fresh pursuit requirement of it being a felony. Yeah, at least in so after Santana that the debate in the lower courts was, does the hot pursuit doctrine only apply to felonies? Because she was wanted for a felony drug offense. And the lower courts were clearly split on this issue. And some said some courts said, yes, if it's not a if it's not a felony offense you uh, that you're trying to arrest the person for, you cannot continue a pursuit inside a house without a warrant. Other courts limited it to, um, well, felonies and some misdemeanors, usually misdemeanors involving violence. Uh, Other courts said, Nope, any crime. If it, if you have probable cause to arrest anybody, you can chase them inside the house. So su- the Supreme Court finally took a case um, after a couple of attempts. There were a couple of cases that the court declined to hear along the way on this issue, but they took up Lang versus California a couple of years ago, 21, I, I believe was the year, where they addressed the issue. Does the hot pursuit exception extend to misdemeanors categorically? Uh, and the answer is no. So not categorically. Every misdemeanor uh, arrest doesn't by itself authorize you to chase someone inside a house. But if there is a misdemeanor, probable cause to arrest for a misdemeanor and some kind of additional exigency, the court said that would be, that would be good enough. Then they they went to lay out a bunch of different kinds of exigencies, which would one of which at least one of which would exist in most, I think misdemeanor arrest cases anyway. So although yes, categorically you cannot continue a misdemeanor pursuit inside a house in most circumstances, you probably have an additional exigency factor. You know, I think people really need to get good at explaining the actions they took. Yeah. And citing the case law off of those actions. Mm-hmm. Two other things I want to talk about before we put the kibosh on this one today. Let me give an example to people. And I actually been offering this a lot to folks in other states. We have two different cases in New Jersey. And off the top of my head, I don't know the names of them. And this is one that I discuss with somebody that we know that we get on the phone with commonly and yeah. have to explain the law. Yeah. <laughs> no, I won't say much more than that. So, um, it's just, it's actually trying to explain to people very vaguely that like, hey guys, 
there are some people out here who we all believe know the law. But when they start trying to explain deeper level case law, they have a very difficult time understanding it. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, outside of this company, I'm sure there are plenty of people who really get it. I haven't run into somebody in this profession yet who understands case law, I think, like we do the most. You know, like another training company. I'm not picking on other training companies. I just haven't run into one yet. Mm -hmm. And I know a few of them. I don't look left and right. I really don't care what they're doing. But often they get tripped up because they're wrong. They're misinterpreting the law. Yeah, and I've, I've, what I've found, and, and I don't have a lot of experience with other training companies, but, but at least with officers who, who you know, contend that they have a good understanding of case law, and, and, they, and they may. They may understand the cases, the actual cases, like the facts of a particular case. They can tell you what year it was, what the facts were, what the court said. Well, that's great. You know, that's great for understanding how that case turned out. But someone who has a really good understanding of, of in this case, Fourth Amendment case law, somebody who can take all of those cases that are that are out there, all, you know, 400 and some cases that the Supreme Court has decided regarding the Fourth Amendment in one way or another, all of the lower court cases and synthesize them together and kind of develop some principles with regarding Fourth Amendment searches and seizures. That's a really successful person. That's a really good resource because that person can help you figure out the circumstance you have in front of you, this unique situation you have in front of you. If you have an understanding of the cases as a whole, you're much more likely to be able to get to the right answer in, in your case, the one that you're, you're confronted with versus just memorizing a bunch of cases that have come before in the past. And now if you have the exact same fact pattern of a prior case, you're good. There's the case right there. But um, every case that we do is different. I, I try to tell people, like, when you ask me a question, I'm bouncing like a pinball off of 23 different things that I think even come close to applying and trying to give you yeah. the best answer that I come up with. And, again, when I come to a, a point where I'm like, you know what, honestly, this is a Zach thing. You just have more – you're going to have more experience. I mean, i got to be honest with you. Like, I know a lot about this. But I also am comfortable saying publicly that I'm my position at this company is shifting a little bit from – entrepreneur in the field with all you guys to CEO of running a company. So yeah. I'm forfeiting a lot of my continued research in case law. The good news is for everybody who's like, no, listen, case law rarely changes. And we've discussed this before. Right. It doesn't change very yeah. often. It doesn't. And when it does, I can read a case and know how it changed anything that existed uh, or interpreted something new. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I did want to discuss this case because I think it's an important one for everybody to hear in New Jersey. We have these circumstances. Uh, they're similar, but they're a little different. And we talk about hot pursuit. Case one. Police officers have a misdemeanor warrant, actually a traffic warrant for a guy. So they take 10 cops at 1 o'clock in the morning. Right? Remember, remember, remember this, this one? Case, yep. And as they come around the corner, the dude sees the police coming down the road. He casually strolls, not into his house, into a third-party residence. Now... They get out of the car. They see him. He has the warrant for his arrest. They go into this third-party residence to arrest him. The court said, that one's no good. And they actually discussed, which was nice for us. This is in 21, I think it was, 20 or 21, the validity of a misdemeanor warrant having the same powers of entry of the house as a felony warrant would. Mm -hmm. There was no difference between the two. Okay. Case number two is a little different. Case number two is, it's New Brunswick, uh, which is a town here, and... They have a warrant for this other guy. When they come around the corner, they see him and they say, I, th I, I think it's Miller might be actually, it's weird. I think it might be State versus Miller. I have to look. I haven't looked at it in a while. And they go, hey, so-and-so Miller. 
you have a warrant for your arrest. Then he flees inside his grandmother's house. They flee in. After him, kick the door in. They arrest him and subsequently find drugs in plain view in like his bedroom at grandma's house. Now, that wasn't the house that he lived in, uh, but his grandmother, who's dealing drugs in front of it. The courts, that was a good one. And here's why. That warrant, in and of itself, like the first case, having a warrant for your arrest does not trigger the hot pursuit doctrine. But when you yelled at him mm-hmm. and said stop and he fled, we have something called obstruction by flight. And obstruction by flight or resisting by flight, something like okay. that, I forget which one it is, is a fourth degree crime, which is a felony offense in our, in our state. They said once he ran he committed from that command, he committed a felony that triggered the hot pursuit. You can follow him anywhere you went. So I give right. that advice to people for, to check your state statute right. because you want to employ this appropriately to allow you to, and this is not something where this is like some trickery under the Fourth Amendment. This is the requirement the U.S. Supreme Court needs you to, to, to achieve in order to enter into these homes to achieve your law enforcement objective. This is not some trickery. So as long as you're meeting the elements, the court said that's fine. So yeah. you have warrants for people's arrest. You see them in public. You're like, ah, he's got a misdemeanor. We can't ever chase him in. If your state says obstruction by flight, it was obstruction by flight because now it's come back to me, is a fourth-degree crime or a felony offense or what to constitute a felony offense, mm-hmm. let's make sure that we yell, stop, you're under arrest, trigger that, and now we're in a hot pursuit situation. Right. We don't have to worry about the misdemeanor, the underlying misdemeanor anymore. Going to a third party. Right. Yeah, because hot going pursuit. anywhere, right? Right, hot pursuit. I think we, you, you, your, your two cases reminded me to make this point. It doesn't matter whose house it is in this case. If it's a hot, if it's the, if it is a hot pursuit, um, exigency. It can be anybody's house. You don't have to be anywhere. fleeing their own I mean, house. Go anywhere. Right. You could right. literally chase till the cows come home, essentially for a hot pursuit. Yeah. They go into one house. They go out the other one. They go into yeah. another one. You could just keep going. We don't. We don't have to distinguish between is it their house or uh, not. That's with the arrest warrants you do. Right. But not hot pursuit. Yeah. Right. So that's interesting that how you how when we talk about formulating these thought processes, mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking about. When you know what the law says and you have it at your disposal, and you know how to trigger it immediately and use it appropriately. I could see an internal affairs investigation. Hey, uh, you know, we saw your body-worn camera video. You know you can't go into third-party homes under Steagall versus United States. You know that, right? right. Yeah, I'm aware. Well aware. And uh, that's what you did. That's actually not what I did. Let's watch my body camera video again. And here's a case I think you guys should be familiar with. Let me slide this over to you guys. Let's read this, talk about this a little bit. Right. And uh, you got that one? Cool. Play the tape, Joe. Right? Mr. Miller, stop. Freeze. You're under arrest. That triggered hot pursuit, boys. Right. And now I had the right to go into his house. Right. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, I don't know if this has happened to you, that I get internal affairs divisions at my classes, like my case law ones especially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the, I, I'm glad they're asking questions, but they're getting the most questions. And I say to these guys over and over again, how are you internal affairs? When you literally are here asking a guy, you know, who has the answer, how are you guys making determinations on was this appropriate or was it not if you don't know what the law says it's merely a guessing and game. how do you know what questions to ask you know a good a good internal affairs investigators investigator needs to know what questions to ask also um and yeah if i don't if, if we're talking about some fourth amendment violation that's alleged we we would need to ask the right questions of the officer so we can make a proper determination of whether this was a violation of our our policy it's wild yeah and, and you know sometimes people get these predetermined like this is what's going to happen for your internal affairs uh, before it even starts, like mm-hmm. now, nah, well, you, you you screwed this one up. Well, hold on, I didn't even get a chance. So, you know, you're we're guilty before we're innocent here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. let me let me have my day to explain things. Right. And I've been I've been subjected to that. I've I've been sat down, and I'm, they're like, hey, uh, da da da. Every I got told this one time, all your poli- all your uh, all your traffic stops look the same. I said, yeah. So does everybody else's. 
I go, everything we do here looks the same. Yeah, but like you sit on the highway, you're looking at cars. I go, yeah, it's called pretextual stops in versus United States. And you guys know that because you guys are all high-ranking officials here. <laughs> I said, so what's, what are we getting at today? Where, what right. do you want? Let's cut the BS. Let's put all the, 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 the semantics to the side because you know you can't get me on that end. I, I know the case law. I, I follow the law. I'm really good at that. What's the, what's the actual underlying cause? And then we'll get to that. And then we'll come back, and you could play that game again. And they laughed. And I said, and thank, you know, I had a good relationship. It wasn't them. Yeah. They were sent as henchmen. Yeah. And, you know, I said, what, 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 did, what did these people want? You know, and they said, well, they want this. I go, just fucking tell me. Instead of wasting everybody's time. Yeah, I go, yeah, listen, right. bro, you want me to go, go, you want me to go write parking tickets for the remainder of my career one a day? Then tell me that. Just say that. That's right. all you got to fucking say. Right. Things have changed. Dynamics have changed. They don't want, all of a sudden now we're not crime stoppers anymore. Fucking 50 years of this agency. We're fucking going out. We're, we're catching bad guys. And now it's all over. Right. Because why? Because they want, they don't like the way it looks when we're pulling cars over and searching cars because residency. You know, it's wild shit to me. So it is what it is. The last thing I have is. One major deficit is people in this profession, law enforcement officers, who don't know how to write a warrant or how to get a warrant. You know, and I want to say that. Search warrant. Yeah, search warrant. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is, you know, we are working on that here. So I, I think I've told you Shane Morgan was in here uh, last week and filming it on how to get a search warrant. I think it's in post-production now. They're editing it. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts when I say that? How accurate is that? I mean, well, I mean, I can speak from personal experience with Virginia only, but um, I don't, I don't think it's different in any, any state. Um, the, there's definitely a stigma associated when it comes to patrol officers and obtaining search warrants. There's this, this sense that that's just what it, that's just for detectives or investigators. Only they do that. Um, when that's just simply not the case. I, I don't know of any state law that would limit a non-detective investigator from getting search warrants. Now there are some agencies policies that do not allow patrol officers to get search warrants for one, one reason or another. Um, but if we can get past that, the process is not very difficult. Mm -mm. Um, you, you fill out an affidavit, which is your, basically your probable cause statement. This is what I'm looking for, where I'm going to be looking for it and why I believe it's there. And, and, and then just fill out the appropriate form and then who you seek it from, you know, every state is a little bit different, but judges and magistrates are typically the, the people that we go to. Um, some places allow you to use clerks of courts and things like that. But, um, knowing who to go to is, is the first step and that should be spelled out in your, your statutes and, uh, also in your policy. And then as court far as rules, right? Usually court, court rules. rules yeah. Uh, how, yeah. Whoever promulgates the rules for your agent, for your, uh, your state. And then the process is not a difficult one. It's a, you fill out an affidavit, which is like, which I mentioned the contents thereof here a moment ago. And then you go get it's it basically the, your affidavit is basically your police report. It's a copy it's, and paste. It's yeah. The, the part of the report that's relevant to what I'm, I'm trying to where I'm, where I'm, what, what happened, what how we ended for, up here, why I think it's there. Yep. Uh, and you give it to the judicial official. They look over it. And if they agree that that's probable cause and you've met all the requirements, there's your search warrant. Yeah. Um, no, the process can take a, you know, a couple hours in some states, depending on, on how, you know, if you have to go see a magistrate in, in person or a judge in person, some of them do allow you to do them electronically file affidavits electronically. Some, some states you do have to run it through the prosecutor. Um, some, some states prosecutors have to sign off on search warrant. New Jersey's affidavits. one of them. Okay. So there's that. And we're actually allowed to, so unbeknownst to a lot of people. And I talk about this in class, you're actually allowed to prosecutor shop. As long okay. as you told the last prosecutor that, that you already got denied by the other prosecutor. Okay. And that's, I think that's fair, you know, because because I think what is what is the prosecutor determining, whether they believe it's probable cause or not, right? And, you know, we're, we're, like, we're like asking like a blonde guy, what do you think, what color do you think this is? You know, it's like, you know how it is, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 
at the end of the day, the process isn't hard. It's just you need to know what the steps are. And these things should be spelled out in your policies, but they're not always there. But they are definitely spelled out in your state law. But, yeah, it's an underutilized tool, from my experience, with with patrol officers. Well, I think a lot of bad case law comes from this. Because cops believe they have to do something, yeah. don't know what to do, and just do something. And I'm going to explain uh, a case that we had here, but I want to say a few things to what you just said. In the state of New Jersey, at least, if you look at our attorney general guidelines and search warrants, the person who applies for the search warrant should be the case agent, so the affiant. Okay. They want the cop who was out there to call the judge. And it's wild is probably 20% of the agencies here make you go find a detective to play telephone with. So you got to sit next to the detective and say, "Tell the judge I said this," because they're the, the only detective ones who, relays that to the. Isn't it? Isn't it insane? Yeah, like so, dude. It's it's like when you have a brain in this profession, it is just you are dangerous, and you're going to become very frustrated very quickly. It's it's wild to me, and it's just a matter of uh, I've talked about this mm-hmm. a thousand times that these people just can't figure anything out. It's it's really special. Um, I think another thing that strikes people or surprises people is that. People think they have to have this extensive qualification to be able to get a search warrant. I got to have all these schools and this training. If people don't understand or know this, and you never heard this before, essentially you probably know the answer to this. I'm sure you do. The graduation of a police academy is the criteria, at least in the state of New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, the day you, on what your warrant is for, and what yeah. obviously going to yeah. give you more credibility if you have the training and experience. But in yeah. order to be able to complete a warrant. And apply for a warrant for the courts in the state of New Jersey. The day you walk off your stage at graduation, they hand you your your police license, your certificate, your PTC, your police whatever uh, certification that you are a peace officer, a police officer in your state. You now have the ability to apply for search warrants. You have the legal authority. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People don't, people are like, ah, you need to be like, you need like five DEA schools. Well, no, the the court looks at your testimony Mm -hmm. uh, more favorably the more training you have. So it's interesting. People are like, ah, I don't go to any training. Well, you know, what you people don't realize is you can you can dream up this whole thing about you're going to be just a patrol officer, but you need to be, know how to get search warrants. It's a real big deficit for us. Yeah, I mean, in drunk driving cases, the is the one where patrol officers are mo- more likely to get search warrants um, when we're trying to draw blood from people. But um, I mean, searches for houses when when we go to a call for a, a I don't know a, a kid that won't go to school, and you go inside the house, you're talking to the kid, and there's drugs in plain view. You know, we want, we want to get a search warrant for the house in that situation. There's no, you don't need to call a detective out there to to do that. I can fill out that affidavit here in about five minutes. So. We can do telephonics in New Jersey, too. Which is good. A lot, a lot of states have that um, that the technology to allow it and the law that permits it, but not not all states do. You, some places you still got to go sit in front of a judge or a magistrate. And You know, unfortunately, one big problem is the ability to contact the judge. There are a lot of cops who I've talked to and they're like, they won't even talk to us. You know, you need to get a warrant. You can't, the judge will never, like, we well, you need a warrant at two o'clock in the morning. You, you got better off. You got wow. a chance of kissing God. Wow. So the whole thing's a wreck. We're trying to, uh, people don't realize that the strife that we face as law enforcement is like, we all came out here to try to do the right thing, not break the law. Just nobody told us, nobody gives us the support, nobody gives us the right. training, nobody gives us the system to work within. Um, and, and there's a there's a case in New Jersey that's unique because I think a lot of us are facing it now. A cell phone gets stolen. The Find My Phone app is triggering at this house. The things okay. landed here. These things are accurate. I am. Yep. I mean, I have air tags in just about everything I own. Right, luggage. Right. I mean, I'm gonna put them in my kids. Right. <laughs> I mean, so within like like feet, right of where I mean, they can tell you like within. Oh, they're so accurate. Inches, right? yeah, oh yeah. yeah. 
So we know that this stolen phone is in this house. So essentially, these guys go to this house. They look inside. And, uh, you know, make a long story short for the purpose of this. There's the phone. Okay. So they climb through the window to go get the phone. Right? Because they don't know how to get a search warrant. They don't need to, they need a search warrant. They just see the phone. They're going to take action. It's this person's phone. The victim's outside going, this is where it is. Yeah. The cops said, we could see it. And they go, what are you going to do? So they ask for consent, essentially. And it's like, no. And then yes, later. And that's what actually saved it. Was ends, ends up being like the aunt's or the grandmother's consent later on. But they climbed through the window to go get this stolen phone. And guys, this is a this is one of these scenarios that I think every cop encounters now with technology. is like, hey, my mm-hmm. stolen phone's at this house. Last time it was turned off. You go to the house. You're running history in the house. You got, you know, you got people with criminal histories in the house. There's yeah. on the CAD notes, there's a thousand miles long of problems here. You know, it's clearly going to be something in this house. You know, what do you do in this scenario? And, you know, uh, the sad thing is people are like, we'll write a report. No, no, you got to get a search warrant. Yeah. Right. So get a search warrant, go in and get the phone. That's right. Yeah. Because the likelihood of it being there when the detective gets around to that case, what, a week later? It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. Even when people turn it off, right? Sometimes they get home, they realize it's on, they turn it off. Mm-hmm. So now you lose the signal, but it was there last. Right. Because probable cause can get stale. I mean, I have prob- probable cause, I believe it's in the house today, is not necessarily probable cause a week from now. To get into that house. Yeah. There's a lot to know about this profession, yeah. you know. Anyway, this is a, yeah. I had a great time today. Glad to be here. Just move to New Jersey. Stop being such a bum. Move the fuck <sighs> I, don't up I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull that trigger yet. I know. The traffic was Think terrible about it. up here. Uh, where were you coming from? I was coming from the eastern shore of Virginia. So coming up up through Delaware, across Delaware, up. Yeah, it was just, yeah. What time did you come? Well, I came in last night. Oh, okay. It was bad, and then I'm not looking forward to my drive home. Wait, so you were you were in Virginia? And you drove I was, in, I was in the north end of the eastern shore so of Virginia, which is right near the Maryland border. Okay, so it okay. wasn't that far. Three and a yeah. half hours. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know what to tell but you. Driving home tonight. Yeah, yeah, I admit the food here is good, though. Good. It is good. The food is really good. <laughs> I, we, I can speak from personal experience. Yeah. But I don't know if it's enough to get me to move up here. I get it. I don't think the wife's ready to make that move. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, was, I would consider Virginia, but at your retirement party, I was scolded for using the F word. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I can't get it out of my <laughs> <laughs> my vernacular. Anyway, uh, it's a pleasure having you here, dude. And uh, thank you again for everything. And guys, if you want to check out Zach's class, streetcop.com. You can actually search Zach Miller stuff. Uh, he's out and about. I mean, you're doing um, how many classes a month now? Seven, eight, nine, some month. Yeah, I'm pretty busy the rest of the year. Okay, so yeah, like, pretty look, bit. looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, guys, don't miss his class, people. I had somebody come to me recently. Like, Zach, I went to Zach's class. I went, how was it? It was, it was phenomenal. It was fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. I'm proud that a lot of our stuff here is really, really some of the top creme de la creme shit. Uh, but I appreciate being here. Awesome. Have a beer. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.